listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, Acts Acts chapter 9, that is, Acts 9, and the ushers are coming forward. They have Bibles. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning or don't have one, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles. It is our gift to you to be able to take and follow along here this morning, but also to even feel free to take that Bible home with you, and and, uh, that is a gift to you if you would like to do that. There is no book more important, more amazing than the Word of God, and that's what we're going to be getting into here this morning. I want you to think back to a time, and it's probably not too hard for you to think of some of this, where something happened that you weren't expecting. You were planning something, you were preparing something, maybe it was a conversation with someone, maybe it was a certain event or an activity, and it didn't go anything at all how you expected. Can you relate to one of those situations in your life? Maybe it was even your life plan. You set goals, you had dreams, you were going to do this, you were going to do that, and none of it happened the way that you were expecting. Oftentimes, it seems that we can make plans and we uh, can, can, can try to live out those plans, and yet they can be turned upside down in a moment's notice. I think of my youngest brother in Saskatchewan. He's, he and his wife are in their mid-30s, and they were uh, excited that to find out the news. This was about a little over a year ago, excited to find out that they would expect, were expecting child number three. But then they got some news that it was actually child number three and four, which means that they have four kids, four and under. And that was news they weren't expecting, and neither were we. I remember getting the text message, and he's like, there's not one, there's two little Lutzers in, uh, in, in, uh, in my wife's womb, and it's just like, oh boy, what's going to be happening? And um, not going like they were expecting. How about the anyone who follows the NHL were not expecting the Vancouver Canucks at this point to still be undefeated. Like that, no one was expecting that. And even last night, I was actually even, I was partially pulling and even praying for them so that this sermon illustration would work. And they ended up uh, losing in overtime, but they ended up, they're still undefeated in regulation. So thank you, Vancouver Canucks, for, for pulling that one out. No one was expecting them to be doing, to get off to such a hot start like that. Maybe it's other things where, you know, that conversation or that event or our life that we've planned or even, even you know what, a move to Kelowna or to this area or whatever, and you had it all planned out and it didn't go as, it, as it ex- you were expecting, but we believe everything is father-filtered, that God has a plan in all things. When Saul of Tarsus was headed to Damascus, To wipe out Christians, no one was expecting what would end up happening. No one could foresee only God. Not even him. I mean, he was heading there for for a specific reason and a purpose, and it got turned upside down on the outskirts of the city. He dramatically met and was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Personally, he saw Jesus. And instead of riding triumphantly into the city, he was led helplessly into the city of Damascus, blind and needing assistance. He had been deeply impacted by Jesus in a vision, hearing and seeing him. And what we saw last week is we are back in the book of of Acts and we saw in the first part of chapter 9 was an unlikely salvation. No one saw this coming, only God. 
This man who had committed his life towards wiping out Christianity, to creating havoc and terror to the, towards the early church, trying to destroy it, trying to, to, he would enter homes and drag out men and women out of their homes. He's now in their homes rejoicing and eating and fellowshipping together as a brother in Christ. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. They weren't expecting that. Could you imagine then Saul coming to the synagogue and, and for the synagogue leaders still to perhaps not have found out that he was a new man, that Jesus had touched his life and him coming to the synagogue in Damascus and the religious leaders are thrilled and excited that Saul of Tarsus is here and they hand him the scrolls and say, why don't you take the morning service here, Saul of Tarsus, so good to have you here today. And instead of giving a, a uh, try, trying to discourage them away from Christianity in a rant against Jesus, they get the opposite. They get an apologetic for Jesus. It's not what they were expecting. He ends up outing himself. He declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He further outs himself. He declares it to everyone, not only by his word, but by his actions. He's baptized upon confession of his faith, something that Jesus commands every one of his disciples to do, that when we make the decision to follow him, you see this throughout Scripture, we see it as a command of his, that we are to be baptized once we come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And he declares himself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you done that today? Are you doing that today? Are you outing yourself that you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you one of these private Christians? I have a private faith. There's no such thing in the word of God as a private faith. Are we outing ourselves? Have you been baptized upon confession of your faith? If not, you need to follow through in obedience in that. But every day we are to live in the way that we live, in the way that we act, the way that we work, and the way that we speak, that we are declaring and that we are living for Jesus Christ. And it affects the way that we live our lives in all areas. And so we're going to pick this up um, as we looked last week at an unlikely salvation. Today we're going to look at an unlikely preparation. God had great plans for Saul of Tarsus. He has great plans for you and for me, and yet his preparation for ministry, his preparation for the mission that he was being called to, was quite a bit different than anyone also saw coming. And so let's look at verse 19 where we pick this up, where we left off from last week. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews with, who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And so we see this strength building in him. We see an effectiveness in communicating the gospel about Jesus. And talk about a major, major endorsement for Christianity. You know, when, I mean, what an encouragement to the early church to have this guy creating havoc now is promoting the work of Jesus Christ. This is just the perfect thing that the gospel of Jesus Christ needed to have a celebrity, 
a well-known spokesperson to be able to come along. I mean, and Paul was the full package. He was fully trained in the Old Testament by some of the best Old Testament teachers. He was a Jew, but he was also raised in Tarsus. And so he had, had, had understanding of Greek culture and, and understood the Gentile way. He understood this all. He had Roman citizenship, which would be so good for him when he would go on his missionary tours. I mean, this guy was model, I mean, evangelist, missionary, church planter, pastor, I mean, all of the titles. I mean, he had it all. And he starts out strong on fire. But we see God has a different preparation plan for his servant. You see, what we see here when we study the word of God is that God's plan for Paul was different than how the church would have seen it and probably how even he saw it himself. And you see, God's preparation plan for you, for me, for Saul of Tarsus changed to uh, Paul the Apostle. God is interested in lifelong, lifelong, effective service. Not just fizzle for a little while and then flame out or burn out, but for the long haul. And, and, and many of us, all of us probably know and have experienced in one degree or another in our own lives being on fire for the Lord, passionate, like nothing's going to stop me now, you know, like here we go. And then it slowly fizzles out. You see this all the time. We get into the spiritual drift mode. Churches get into this. Get, get, get relaxed. Start taking it easy. Don't, don't take the mission that we are called to seriously. And God isn't interested in, 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 in you know, the the sparkle for a little while. He's interested in in a long-term obedience and following of Jesus Christ. Even though Saul had this brilliant mind and terrific ability, and as he stands up in the synagogues in Damascus, and he's he's, uh, just sharing the truth of God's word, God still had some important work that he wanted to do on him, some work he wanted to do in him. And God's idea for preparation of his servants is so much different than ours. And I believe so much of this applies to our own lives here today too. And so today we're going to look at the unlikely preparation for the Apostle Paul. We will see how God prepared Saul for a life of effective service. And that life would end up bringing much glory to God. Not just short term, but over the long haul. And this is a pattern I believe that we can lay out for our own lives. That these, what we're going to be looking at here today, and I'd be encourage you to be taking notes and to be writing these down. I believe this is for us to be effective in our relationship with God, in the mission that He's called us to be. If we want to serve God, live for Him, and see our families and the next generations continue on, we need to pay attention to God's word. It's not just this short little short term. It's a long obedience in the same direction. And it's, it's continuing to follow him through the good times and through the hard times. And so here we see, uh, as we get into the passage here in verse 23, an unlikely preparation involves this. Hurry up and wait. It involves spending time alone with God. And we see this in verse 23, the first part of verse 23. It says, when many days had passed... Now, if we were to just stop there for a moment, um, if, if we can go to the next, ne- next screen there, uh, I actually took a screenshot of this of, from, from one of my Bibles, and, and this is what you would see in yours. When many days had passed, now what I'd like you to consider doing, if you're a person who marks up your Bible a little bit, but this is going to be a good reminder for you in the future about God's preparation plan for, for Saul of Tarsus, as well as for us as well. When many days had passed, now put a little slash in here, just do that, you can put that in there, go ahead. 
We have that picture. There we go. Now, what ended up taking place here? This statement right there, that little slash, that little pause, signifies the completion of a significant period of time in Luke's narrative. And that next statement where it says the Jews plotted to kill him starts a new period of time. That slash, that three-year gap, um, there's a three-year gap in that time. And you might even want to write in there, three-year gap. And you need to understand that Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he's not writing here a biography just simply about the Apostle Paul. He's just not writing about Paul's history here and, and, and his career in ministry. Instead, he's giving us an overview of the world-changing activities of the early church. And so it's not important for him to write all of this. You say, how do you know that there's a three-year gap in this time? Well, turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, and you're going to see this gap that we're talking about. Galatians chapter 1, 11 to 17. I'd encourage you to still even write that in the book of Acts there, in, in Acts chapter 9, so that in the future, when you kind of, hey, what was that again? Where was that gap period? Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 17. I'm going to read that for you. And, and here's what Paul, the apostle now, once Saul of Tarsus, ended up saying, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about what took place on the road to Damascus. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers, but when he who had set me apart was... Uh, apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned to Damascus. And here what we ended up, end up seeing is that he was away for three years. That Saul leaves Damascus and he goes to Arabia for three years in the wilderness, in the region known as the Sinai Wilderness. And so he's, he, he goes out. He doesn't go to Jerusalem right away. Instead, he heads off to Arabia. This is the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments centuries earlier. How interesting that this is the same wilderness now where Paul is, where he is now coming to not just understand because he already un understands the Old Testament, he understands the, the Ten Commandments, but this is where he would learn about the grace of God. For Saul, this was the place where he would pour over the scriptures with new eyes. And he would see everything so differently. The veil had been lifted. It even says like something like scales when he was blind. It says like something like scales came off his eyes. And I, I believe that's not just on the physical sense, but also spiritually that he would see the word of God in a new way. He, would, he, he saw Jesus. He experienced him. He would take time to pour over the over 300 Old Testament prophecies that referred to Jesus 
his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And now it's all making sense that Jesus was the fulfillment. No longer did he have to try to explain this all away. No longer did he have to tell them to wait further. The Messiah will come. He realized he saw that the Messiah had come, that Jesus fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies. And so this was a time of reading, of study, of worship, of being in awe of who Jesus is and how he had missed it for all of these years. But see, what happened is that he was so, so understanding of the word of God, he was so dedicated to it, and yet he missed Jesus. He missed the gospel. And you know, folks, this is something that can easily happen even today within the church of Jesus Christ. You can be sitting in church for years and years and years, for decades, and you can totally miss Jesus. You miss the gospel. Or you study or you follow or you live for another Jesus. Not the Jesus of the New Testament. Not the Jesus of the Bible. You say, there's other Jesuses out there? Oh, there's many different Jesuses out there. Even in, in 2 Corinthians, in, in, uh, I believe it's chapter 12 and, and 13, or else it's 10 and 11. Somewhere in there, you see Paul giving a defense of the Christian faith. And he is, is telling uh, talking to these false teachers who preach a different Jesus. There's the pray this prayer, Jesus. Just pray this prayer to Jesus and then live however you want, but you get heaven. There's this pray this prayer, get heaven prayer, but that's not the prayer that we see in the word of God. That's not the life that we see that true followers of Jesus are to live for. It's not just the pray this prayer, Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but I'm going to live however I want. There's the health and wealth, Jesus. Follow this Jesus, live for this Jesus, and you'll know nothing but health and, and wealth for the rest of your life. That every day will be about living your best day ever. Again, you don't see that in the New Testament. Paul doesn't, doesn't experience this in his own personal life. He ends up very poor, very needy, very sick at times relying on Jesus more and more. Then there's the tolerant Jesus that is worship that is proclaimed today. The tolerant Jesus that would never send anyone to hell. Oh no, Jesus would never do that. That's a tolerant Jesus and, and people love to follow a Jesus like that because again, it lets you sleep good at night thinking that oh, in the end, everyone will make it to heaven. Again, the Bible is very clear about that. That it's through living a life committed to Jesus Christ is what authentic faith looks like. There's the go ahead and live however you want kind of Jesus. Live however you want and everything will be fine. In the end, it's all about his grace. That's a dangerous way to live. And see, we can be in a church, we can know our Bibles, and we can miss Jesus completely. And so this time in the desert for Paul was a time of reading, being taught by the Holy Spirit, being strengthened in his knowledge and convictions that would pro propel him into a life of faithful ministry and service for Christ. And you think, wow, they missed such an opportunity. You would think that right after the Damascus experience that he just would have propelled into other areas, head back to Jerusalem, set them straight, look, you know, show up and say, look, I'm a new man, I found Jesus. But no, the the path for Paul was the desert. It was hurry up, Paul. Let's get to the desert. Hurry up and wait. And see, we live in a day, even today, where you can have the best preaching. You can watch it on TV. You can podcast it. You can read from the best authors. 
but there is no replacement for the actual word of God. Studying the word, reading the word, pouring over his word in our lives. And you see, when God wants to do an impossible task, and God will take an impossible, very hopeless-looking man or woman or teenager or child, and he takes us to the end of ourselves, and it oftentimes includes a desert experience, not just once in your life, but over and over again. You think of Moses, who, who God used in a powerful way. 80 years of preparation. For some of you who are hitting 80 or even past 80, you just might be getting going. I mean, for Moses, I mean, he spent 40 years he thought he was something as a prince in Egypt the first 40 years. Then the next 40 years, he's in the backside of the wilderness caring for sheep, not even his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep. But that, was, that first 80 years prepared him for the next 40 years of leading and guiding God's sheep in that wilderness. That was the perfect training ground for him. And you see that time and time again through Scripture. Abraham, Joseph, Elijah, the list goes on. Long years of preparation for, for, for God's servants. That God put them through this period of preparation so that godly character would be developed, so dependence and patience would be, would, would be something that they would learn no other way. Folks, you need to know that there is nothing wasted with God. When we surrender to his plan, not our plan, not our timetable, but his, it's going to look much different than ours. He prepares us for what is coming. And again, what is he most interested in? Long haul relationship. He's interested in building us and preparing us for the long haul, just not short term. He's preparing us. and He desires a life of fruitfulness in all of us. But we don't like to wait, do we? No, we're busy. We're important. I mean, look at this picture. I mean, this was me taking the kids to school the other day. And look at this long lineup of traffic coming down from Upper Mission. I mean, it was terrible. I was thinking of even driving and tweeting at the same time to the city of Kelowna. Like, fix this, you know. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I am almost convinced that there are those traffic cameras, you know, that, that people in, in, at, at City Hall sit there behind their computers. And I am almost convinced that they see the Rough Rider sticker on our vehicles and they purposely hit every red light so that when I'm driving, I'm hitting every... It just seems like there is some kind of a conspiracy, something against us Saskatchewan people that that person in City Hall who controls. You, you ever get like that? You ever start thinking, you know, th th there's something about it. Is something I've done that I'm hitting every red light as I'm driving. I'm in a hurry. I'm late for church or I'm late for work or I'm late for this appointment. And, 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 and there's some kind of a conspiracy. I'm busy. I'm important. Come on, things should, how about when we go, and sometimes I laugh in, in the parking lot, you know, when, when you stop in at a store and, and you'll circle a place, you know, for five minutes because you have to get the close spot where if you would have just originally parked further, walked in, you would be in the store and out way sooner than, than you would have, but you have to circle because you've got to get that nice close spot, got to wait for somebody to pull out so you don't have to walk so far. And then we go out and exercise afterwards, makes no sense, you know, or, or we're in, in the checkout, you know, or we're looking, you know, we're, we're coming to Costco, Walmart, whatever, and you're looking over, you're ready to pay for, your, for whatever you're buying and you're looking for the shortest line, right? Look for the shortest line, but then you even take it a step further, right? Because we're important, we're busy, and we, you know, God's given us a good mind, and so we got to you know, save time in that. So then you're looking, okay, does that person work in the till? Do they look with it? 
You know, are they, are they someone who knows what they're doing? Or, you know, are they, are, are they sitting there visiting to everyone? Come on, again, I, I, I'm in a hurry. I got to get going, you know. And, and wouldn't you, you know, it, you know, and then you see someone else who's in line. Okay, they're choosing that line. It's, it's, it's a race then. It's like, I better get out before that person, you know, because that would look badly on you that you made a poor decision. And then you find out you get a trainee. It says trainee. I'm like, oh, great. You know, again, we're so busy. We have so much on the go. And we want everything just to happen the way that we want it. God's timetable and his preparation process is so much different than ours. Because sadly, we bring that same kind of thinking that I've just described to you. We bring it into our lives in the spiritual realm as well. We need to retreat regularly. We need to retreat often. It's vital that we are alone with God, pouring over his word, communing with him with soft, humble, teachable hearts. You say, I can't take three years off like, like, like what Saul of Tarsus did here. No, you need to take time off every day. I need to take time off every day to be renewed and refresh to carve out that time alone with God in the word, in prayer, not just simply podcasting, not just simply reading from some other good spiritual book, reading the word of God, pouring over his word. And our plans so oftentimes when, when we get passionate about something and even passionate about serving the Lord, our plan is so often for promotion. and God's plan is seclusion. Get alone with him. Allow him to do a new work. Saul earns his doctorate of desert ministry by spending three years in the desert. But his hunger for the word of God was only beginning. It wasn't like, okay, I, I, I've learned this experience. Okay, I went to Bible college. Okay, I took this course. Oh, I graduated from, from this. This church offered this, and now I'm good to go. No, you, you continue to see a hunger in his life for the word of God. He couldn't get enough of it. And, and how can, I can even prove this to you. 2 Timothy 4 verse 13. When here he is, he's in prison, he's near the end of his life, and he writes, he, he writes to Timothy, he says, oh, and, and bring my coat. I, I left it in, in Troas, but, and also bring my books, which quite possibly could have been some of his letters and his writings that he's working on. But then he says, especially bring the parchments. What's that? It's the word of God. He says, make sure you bring my coat, my writings, yeah, but especially bring the parchments, bring the word of God, bring that Bible of mine that is so precious that, that I can pour over the word of God. Are you a person of the word? Or you think, oh, that'll happen later on. I think I'm so thankful for the godly heritage that, that God has placed me into and a, a grandfather who early, early, early in his early to mid-twenties or in his mid-twenties, someone challenged him that he needed to be a man of the word and to study the word of God. And he took it seriously for the rest of his life. He became a man of the word of God, never preached a sermon, but he lived the word of God and he taught the word of God through his life and through his actions. In the last 10 years of his life or so, he did away with newspapers and books and even the books that hit one of his sons is one of his sons is pastor in the States, writing all kinds of different books and articles. Didn't even care to read those. He's like, oh, he came out with another book. That's okay. I have the word of God. And for the last 10 years of, the life, of his life, the only thing that he would read would be the word of God. And he would, say he, he, he would say he would go at night especially and he would start reading the pages. He says, the pages just fly by. 
He couldn't get enough. My grandmother would come to him and, and she would tell me, Daddy, it's time to go to bed. And he's like, oh, just a few more chapters. I can't put down the word of God. Here's a man who made a choice and a decision early on to live the word of God, to read the word of God, and it's affected his family into the generations. This picture was taken just probably a year or so before he died at the age of 106. And it's so interesting that even in the last year of his life or so, he, stopped, he even stopped talking. He, he was very uh, aware of everything that was going on, but he just didn't speak much anymore. And a few months before he passed, there was a big celebration going on. The family had all gathered in at, at the nursing home where he and my, my grandmother were because my grandmother was celebrating her 100th birthday. And this big party, the celebration is going on, and he's just sitting there. He's not saying a word. And then finally, in German, that with his last and final words that we would hear him speak, he, would, he said, enough! Enough of all of this, this celebrating. Let's talk about Jesus and the Word. What a way to go out. Let's talk about Jesus and the Word. A hunger for the Word of God prepares, prepared him for a life and his family and into the next generations. Are we people of the Word? Hurry up and wait. God's plan for us oftentimes involves waiting. But that waiting is spending time alone with God. You see, there's something about time and love. Love and time. And when we create space for God in our lives, in our daily routine, when we make him a priority, he pours down blessings that we miss out on if we don't do it. He's wanting to bestow his blessings upon his people. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you help. He wants to give you strength. And you're going on your own because you're not making yourself available to him to be able to use. When we take time and allow him and his word to teach us, he changes us, he grows us, and may there be a growing and a deep yearning for more and more of his word, more and more of Jesus. Oh, may I have that. May you have that. May this church have this. That is what will sustain us in the days ahead for whatever will come your way. It's not about having a good retirement plan. It's not about this and that. It's about being a person of the word of God in a world that it seems is nearing, nearing the end in many ways. I don't want to scare you. I want to prepare you. Be in the word. Best way to prepare? Be in the word of God. Know the word of God. In a society where just increasingly it doesn't make sense, we continue to be strengthened in this way. So hurry up and wait. And unlikely, preparation also involves, you're not going to like this, persecution and suffering. Look at in verse 23. I'm, I'm going to just start over again here. When many days had passed, so three years later, now he heads back to Damascus. The Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So here what happens, fresh out of the desert experience, fresh after this, this time alone with God, what does he face? Opposition. 
Threats start coming to his life, and he escapes by being lowered down in a basket. I guess you could say Paul was the second basket case in the Bible, right? You know, Moses was the first one, you know, and, and, and now we have the New Testament basket case, you know, and, and so he's lowered down in a basket to get out of the, the threats that are coming his way. This would just be the beginning of a life of suffering and persecution for Saul. And right from the very start, Saul would realize that if you are going to live for God, if you're going to speak the truth, if you're going to live the truth, expect opposition, persecution, and suffering. He faced it from the Jews. He faced it like his very own people. He faced it from the Gentile, from Gentiles, from Romans, from the governors. He faced it from fellow preachers, from false teachers. He faced uh, just pot shots like crazy from time to time where they they made fun of him and, and ridiculed him for the work that he was a part of. He spent time in prison, in beatings. He was many times, he, he suffered with, all, with physical ailments. And yet he says, when I am weak, then I'm strong. He even goes on to say, I'm not going to boast about all my accomplishments, though I could because I've accomplished a lot. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to boast about the suffering. I'm going to boast about those hard times because it's in those times that I reached out to the Lord and there he sustained me in a powerful way. You ever hear someone who comes to you and they just start talking and bragging about this and that and how amazing and blah, blah, blah. And a part, of me, part of you is just like, okay, hurry up. You know, like, okay, good for you. You know, the testimonies that are the most amazing is when there's the trials and there's the suffering. And they say, but Jesus is enough. This is what I taught through these valleys. And even over the years in my life, I, I, I've kind of charted about three or four different periods of suffering, of, of hardship, of coming very much to the end of myself. One time it was just very self-inflicted. Just a battle in my mind, in, in, in my life, just a, a battle with fear that was so controlling and exposed different areas of my life, but it also showed me a beautiful side of the Word of God and the presence of Jesus and how He can make someone who is not well give them a sound mind and a sound peace of heart and, and understanding. There's been other trials and persecutions I've faced. You've all done that. And that's where we want to boast. Not in the, the accomplishments and great and amazing things that maybe you've been a part of. It's, it, it's, it's we're boasting in our weakness. That's what, what, what Saul ends up doing throughout his life. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, they hated me. They hated me. They're going to hate you. Servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Philippians 1.29, Paul wrote later in his life, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You see, Christ's suffering... His weakness on the cross. It looked like that was the end. But he rose in power. When we are weak, we are strong. 
Matthew 5.11, Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Do you stand for Jesus today? Do you stand for the word of God? Well, you know, I, I don't say much. or I don't say anything. I, I don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. You know, um, no, l- let's be honest. You don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want, you know, others to label us, and we don't want to put up with the possible uh, being laughed at or being, you know, ridiculed or, or mocked. We don't want to be uncomfortable. But folks, the reality is that life without the peace and presence of Christ is uncomfortable, and that is what so many people in this region are facing without Christ. Hell is uncomfortable. And we have been given the command and put on mission by God to declare his word, to out ourselves, to declare that we are people of the word, that we live differently, we view what is going on in society differently. You know where the fastest growing church is in our world? Well, it should be in Canada, shouldn't it be? Or North America here, you know, the breadbasket, you know, North America, we've had so much prosperity and so much and, you know, and, and, and good Bible teaching and good churches. And so the churches, I mean, here in North America, it's, it's the fastest growing church in the world, isn't it? No, it's declining. It's declining in numbers. It's not moving ahead. Churches here in North America are declining. And you know where the fastest growing churches are? In Muslim countries, where there's much persecution. In countries like North Korea, where if you are caught with the Bible, you are executed. The church is growing in North, in, in North Korea. How about in Iran? That is the place where over the last 20 years has seen the most growth in the church. In Iran, of all places. In 1979, they believed there to be 500 Christians. Today, there are well over, and this is statistics from a number of years ago, today there are over 1 million and hundreds of people coming to know Christ on a monthly basis. In the last 20 years, more people have come to know Christ in Iran than the 13 previous centuries combined. And what is going on? There's violence, there's, there's resistance to Christianity, it's illegal, they face persecution, but why are people turning to Jesus Christ in, in, in mass number like this? Well, there's a growing disillusionment because they see the worldwide violence of, of Islam and, 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 and it's making no sense to them and so they're, they're saying there must be another way. But then the second reason why they are turning to Jesus is because they are seeing the suffering and the persecution of fellow Christians or or of Christians in their nation and they see in their weakness, they are seen as strength. They are seeing Jesus in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of being persecuted. You know where the second fastest growing church is? Afghanistan. Why? Because the the languages between Iran and Afghanistan are so similar that the Iranians are sharing the gospel with the Afghanis and they're coming to know Christ. People going out and declaring and being baptized, knowing that they could suffer greatly from family, from governments. You see, the gospel is most powerfully proclaimed, not in our amazing accomplishments, but through our trials and through our sufferings. 
You think of Stephen, the first martyr. It looked like his death was in vain. His suffering, his persecution as he's being stoned to death and as he is calling out to Jesus made a difference for Saul of Tarsus watching that. Made an impact on his life that would later result in him coming to Christ. When ISIS is killing Christians two to three hundred a day, we must remember that these people who are dying are following a crucified Christ who died in weakness but rose in power. And it's making an impact. Trials, suffering, persecution are not wasted. It's all being redeemed. God is building. He builds the genuineness of our faith, which he considers more precious than gold. And it's trials more than prosperity teach us to remember the Lord. That's when we turn to him. When, when life is good and smooth and sailing along, we almost come to the point, we don't even need the Lord. Look at me. Look at it. Look how amazing I am. Look how amazing my family is. Look how amazing my business is. Look how amazing, amazing, amazing my church is. When we face trials, it puts us on our knees. So count it all joy today when you meet trials of various kinds. James 1 verse 2 says, God is building your faith. An unlikely preparation also involves suffering. It also requires dependency or humility and dependence on others. Verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. So he leaves Damascus because, you know, his life is being threatened. So he's like, it's time to go to Jerusalem. So, so Saul is heading off to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord and had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So Saul goes to Jerusalem, hadn't been there in over three years, didn't know how they were going to receive him, and they didn't receive him well. It was arm, like, okay, is this a plan? Is this a plot? I mean, you've been away for, for three years. What's going on here? What are you doing? What's he doing here? And here is Barnabas. And we see Barnabas showing up regularly throughout the first half of the book of Acts. His name means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas reaches out to him. He says, let's go for a coffee. Come on, let's talk about this. Let's find out what's going on. And he hears, hear, hears the story right from Saul's lips. He hears the story and, and, and he, he weighs that, he measures that. And then he goes to the, to the apostles and he says, hey, this guy's the real deal. He's the real deal. We need to accept him. And based on his recommendation, they brought him into, they're like, okay, well, if Barnabas says that he's good, he must be good. There's a humility here on behalf of Paul where, where he just couldn't march in there and do his own thing. He, he needed to 
in a sense, earn his stripes, not, not earn them, but, but declare and, and, and have help from another person. So oftentimes we think, listen, I'm a self-made person. I don't need others in my life. I don't need others to tell me what to do. I don't need others spiritually, biblically. I, I'm kind of, you know, the master of my own kind of decisions and different things. No, it's very clear. We need one another. That's why we are put into the body of Christ. And one of the things that gives me the most joy in, in these last few verses, it's in verse 30, because then, then you know, so, so here he is, he's preaching in the synagogues and he's going up against the Hellenists and, and this is happening and next thing you know, they're seeking to kill him. And in verse 30, I just love this. It says, and when the brothers learn this. It's just like, you're picking on, you're picking on our friend Saul? He's one of us. You don't touch him. We are together. He is one of us, and we are going to protect him. Why? Because he was in the family. You see this family, he was known, and he got to know others, and they saw he's the real deal. They saw God at work in his life, and they were to encourage him and protect him. That's what we are to do in the body of Christ. If you are some lone ranger, you are not following what God's will calls us to do and to be part of the body of Christ in relationship. That's where we have something like small groups. We have lady study. We have men's study. It's about having others in our lives to guide us, not just in life and business decisions, but be in relationship together with one another. We are put into the body of Christ. Is it perfect? No, far from it. We watch out for one another. We love one another. We protect one another. That's what we are called to do and to be. Oh, we see just such a beautiful picture here. The protection and the love that is found. But we see humility. Hey, I need others. I need to depend on others. And Paul saw that here in his own life. Barnabas was quite the guy. I mean, he wasn't a big name guy. He wasn't a front runner. He was often... Kind of somewhere down, you know, you'd read in Paul and Barnabas. Never do you see him as this top guy, but he was generous. We see in Acts chapter 4, there was a need within the church financially. He sold a field and he gave the money. Later on, he helped bring Paul into the family. And you continue to see this, this faithful person who accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey. He stood up for truth. He stood up for his convictions and, and God used him and blessed him. God gave him the gift of discernment and he used it for God's glory. Are you using the gifts that God has given you for his glory? His recommendation affected and changed the early church and the life of Saul of Tarsus changed to the Apostle Paul. And the church of Jesus Christ has been built on faithful men and women like Barnabas. We all need to be a Barnabas. We all need Barnabases in our lives. Are you seeking out others? Are you availing yourself in that way? Just love to see how the protection then took place. That's what family is. That's what family is all about. And I love how this chapter ends and how this message ends here today. What was the result of an unlikely salvation, an unlikely preparation? Verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Through this unlikely chapter with unlikely events, the church multiplied and they enjoyed a season of peace and 
comfort and growth. They were just getting going. And if we take this passage seriously and apply it to our own lives, we're just getting going. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we submit ourselves to you, to your plan, to your purposes. I pray for anyone here today who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Today would be a day that they could easily, and we would hope that they would call upon you to be their Savior, to be the, their Lord, to come into their lives and transform them, and that the scales off their eyes would come off and they would see you for who you are. We don't take it for granted that just because we're in church, we're saved. I'm so greatly concerned that we can easily be, with, be in church and not truly be in Christ. May we examine our hearts. May we be people who love your word, who have a growing desire to spend time with you, not just learn a little bit and I'm good for the next month or two and then I'll look at my Bible again somewhere down the road when life gets hard. May we be people just growing and, and hungry for the word of God. May we be Barnabases to one another, inspiring, encouraging, walking with one another in love. And as that happens, the church multiplies. Our lives receive a blessing from you that no thrill, no joy here on this earth could ever give. Folks, just with their heads bowed, it just, you just have to realize that this chapter shows us that God can save anyone. And God can use anyone. He's at work. He's desiring to do a great work in all of our lives. You might say, hey, I've, I've had a good run, but now I'm, you know, someone else's turn. No, he's, he's recommissioning you today to engage in the work. You say, yeah, but my past, I've got a, I've got a checkered past. I, I've messed up too much. Folks, I don't believe that anything in our past works against us. God can and does redeem anything and everything. Look at the Apostle Paul. Not all things that happen to us are good, but God works for the good in all things in our lives. Romans 8.28 is very clear on that. And we are all called according to his purpose. If you're in Christ, you're called according to his purpose. You might say, yeah, I'm just, I'm dirt under the toenail. That's who I am. That's, I'm, I don't have much to offer God. He saved Saul and used Saul. He'll do that to us, but we must carve out that time of preparation in the word daily. Be hungry for the word. Learning in our sufferings and in our trials and our setbacks to call upon him and to have others in our lives. God, I pray that today we wouldn't resist what your spirit is saying to us, whether it's been in the word of God this week, there's an area of obedience, there's an area of sin that we need to confess, we need to make right, we need to get help and say, enough, enough. That if there's an area that we've been running, been running, running, running from, from you in and we've been neglecting the spirit in our lives, that we say, enough, enough, today's the day that I, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow. It may be hard, it will be hard, guaranteed, but we will find you to be more, in, more than enough. And in the end, you've got it all figured out. 
we'll look back over our lives and say, God, you are so good. May we not waste another day, another opportunity to live for you, spend time communing with you and with God's people. May we step it up and end up seeing in an incredible way how the church multiplied there in the book of Acts, that you would do the same in our, in our lives within our church here too. We pray this all in Jesus' name.